Pablo, welcome to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number five, four, five, who knows. But Pablo's an athletic trainer, uh, performance fitness, and one of the things that makes you different that from other trainers I've dealt with is the mind-to-body connection within the athletes. Like you were with somebody this morning and you had them hold out their arm and say what their name was and they were concentrating and they could push against your arm, but then as soon as you had them say something that they knew was wrong, they couldn't do it anymore. So that's interesting. I hadn't noticed that before. Why, why is that and how did you get onto that path of wanting to explore that connection into where you are now? Well, first of all, thank you for having me over. I sure. think it's a great uh, source for a lot of people. Well, it, it depends. So one of the ways we're approaching fitness and approaching a lot of the uh, new strategies for wellness overall is mm-hmm. the psychological aspect, right? Mm-hmm. And this point is depending on your nervous system. Okay. And if your nervous system is basically doubting of anything, mm-hmm. that can be a movement, it can be a trauma, that can be something that you have dealt with in the past, right. your body knows that that's wrong. Right. Even now, just a small test we did this morning was basically just testing to make sure the person knew what her name was, so mm-hmm. she was positive. Right. So her nervous system responded positively. Right. From the moment she lied about her name, mm-hmm. her nervous system knew something was off. So mm-hmm. she, the nervous system let go. Mm-hmm. And this is basically how it goes in your body. Okay. So many times we have all kinds of uh, small triggers, small uh, injuries, that we don't even pay attention to it. Right. And then remember, your body has millions of cells that communicate with your brain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those cells have blockers. But trying to identify what those blockers are mm-hmm. is the key to understand why is the nervous system doubting sure. certain movements. And that basically leads into an injury in the long term. So when when the cells or when the nervous system doubts itself, it makes the body do, I guess, almost protect itself in a way that it doesn't need to be protected in, a, in an athletic sense because it thinks something wrong is happening to it, which would lead it to do something not, I don't know, am I, am I, am I Yeah, 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 yes, absolutely. So basically, let's say, for instance, let's say, I'm going to put it to you in this in this content, for instance, let's say I just uh, rolled my ankle mm-hmm. three months ago and it right. was a uh, spray, one degree sprain. So my brain knows that uh, I had an injury and I'm rehabilitating from it. So whenever I'm ready to step into a field and go and do my whatever sport it is, mm-hmm. my brain knows that something is off. Right. And it's going to basically take the tension away from my ankle and transfer it to my next joint. This joint can be my knee. Mm-hmm. So Just it, to protect my ankle. So it overstresses the next joint and then it can lead all the way up to the hips and back. Correct. And that's why we see people with back problems because back and knee problems are overcompensating for whatever the weak joint that is correct. muscle is. Okay. Yeah, and sometimes it's like I, I, I have dealt with so many kids between the ages like 13 to 16. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you look nowadays, we have kids uh, do crossover sports. They go from basketball to soccer. Right. And there's a completely different mechanics. Right. Which I have nothing wrong with it, but they mm-hmm. have to understand that they got to pick one sport mm-hmm. and what they really want to do with that sport. Right. From the moment they want to take two competitive sports and make it into one, mm-hmm. your brain knows that that's something different. Now your brain starts doubting certain movements because mm-hmm. of patterns. The nervous system doesn't really know what's happening, and that's leading you into a bigger mm-hmm. uh, frame of injuries. It can mm-hmm. be a bilateral, it can be lineal, it can be so many other things, right? right? But just your brain is doing something completely different. Running from the basketball court, which is right. smaller, mm-hmm. if you're a point guard, it's going to be completely different if you're a offensive right back in the soccer right. field, which is going to be doing 120 meter runs. Yeah. So I want to, so I've, I've often heard when I was younger that crossing over sports was good for you because it, it allowed certain, allowed you to, to develop different muscles and take breaks off different, like the same sort of repetitive movement when you were younger and to not tear down, like tear apart your body as a, at a young age. Is there truth to that or is it? You know, there is truth to that, absolutely, because your brain development is a lot different because you're able to see a picture from a different angle. Right. It's like if you step on a soccer field as a defender, mm-hmm. and if you step on a soccer field as a defender, you look forward. Mm-hmm. And if the soccer field, if 
you step on it from the other side, you're a striker, it's a completely different picture. Right. Those movements are different. It's the same thing when you cross over sports. Mm-hmm. That means you can be doing different sports, but you got to pick one that's going to actually allow you to be your main sport. Right. And the other one is going to be like a rec sport. Just mm-hmm. deload the stress for your body right. and don't take it as serious. Yeah, you know? that's, that's what I did with soccer and basketball. Soccer was my main sport, and I played a lot of basketball, but it was never at the level that... I played soccer. It was always rec or just pick up with friends. But it was something that allowed me to get, to kind of take the stress off the certain, those specific soccer movements, like the planting when to go play a long ball. Like, cool. you don't have to do that in basketball. So cool. it would take the stress off the knee and the hip to plant all the time, um, which kept me healthy probably throughout most of high school until, yeah, throughout most of high school, I didn't really have any injuries. And I, I had teammates that were only one sport, and they would get injured on a very specific Absolutely. specific thing. That's very true. No, I completely agree with that. And just remember, the other thing is, like, crossing over sports, there's nothing wrong with that. The other thing is basically crossing over sports at the same day. Some mm-hmm. kids, I know that they right. go from soccer practice to basketball practice the same day. I mean, yeah. like, is something that is way, they're overdoing it. It's different if you're taking a break off from soccer during off season and you go and play basketball. Right, right. Now you know that your your body is completely loading from basketball. It's a hard surface. Mm-hmm. You take sharp turns. You put a lot of stress in your ankles. Mm-hmm. Soccer is all kicking. It's right. a lot of kicking into the ball, so the ankle takes a lot of stress. Yeah. So it's a lot of inflammation. It's a lot of impact. It's a lot of stress that goes into those small bones around your feet. Mm-hmm. So in this case, crossing over sports, I would recommend, for instance, like if I do football, mm-hmm. I would do swimming, right? Because there is a non-contact, right? There is non-contact yeah. sport. There is no. There's less impact on the joints. Correct, and you develop completely for a musculoskeletal system than what you do with football, right? So now, if you play in basketball, yes, you want to look something that is going to be bilateral, a lot of shifting around, mm-hmm. which you have to be able to understand. You will do boxing. Right. Why? Because it's the same thing. You'll be able to coordinate better handle with the movements. Mm-hmm. You'll do karate, something that involves more neuromuscular movements, more right. specifics mm-hmm. than just doing the same over and over uh, drills. Because soccer and basketball drills, many times when you're doing conditions, they're about the same. Yeah, they're very similar. Very similar. So you're overdoing, you're overworking the same body parts. So what sort of things, when you see like late teens, early 20s athletes come in with small but like the injuries that you're saying before the small ones that you don't that we don't think are injuries what are the things that we can do to kind of prevent prevent those and if we do have them to make sure that they heal and we don't make them worse i guess what are, what are the sorts of things that you recommend or like that you when you get your athletes what do you put them through what kind of like conditioning or training do you put them through so, you know, I have a four-step method that I use, but before I get to that, basically one of the things that I really like uh, doing, I, my, my training system is educational. Mm-hmm. Basically, I educate the athlete, I educate the, the, the client, I educate whoever walks through the doors to sure. really see their body, how they move, how they perform from the outside, take videos, and basically use mm-hmm. feedbacks. This is an analytic method for them to understand okay. how they're moving, right? Sure. Because a lot of times they, they know they move in one way, but they think they're doing it, but slightly they start shifting to a completely different pattern. Right. For instance, now I'm going to go back into teens. Mm-hmm. So if you are a 12-year-old athlete with a versus a 15-year-old athlete, doing the uh, biomechanical point stand of view and also the physiological point of view is you're going to go through puberty. Right. You're going to grow. Mm-hmm. You're going to develop muscle. Mm-hmm. They're going to still want to move like if they were 12, but they were also 15 pounds lighter. Right. Also four inches lower. Mm-hmm. So now their joints haven't been developed to move with a higher yeah, amount they, of they weight. They caught up yet. Correct. Right. So the first thing, we have to explore their body. Mm-hmm. Basically, scan their body, teach them how their body looks like now. Mm-hmm. Right. They need to be able to understand dimension and space, mm-hmm. speed and force, mm-hmm. landing acceleration. Right. Breaking system and also multidirectional movements. Mm-hmm. From the moment they see weaknesses and be able to see those things, when I was doing what we call prehab, basically okay. giving orientation to an athlete what they should be working on. So right after they understand things that are not able to push off to the left or they have a stronger push to the right, okay. now you start developing the sport. Now right. you start making it specific for that. 
as soon as they understand that, we're going to what they call unilateral style training, basically teaching the athlete the right leg or the left leg. If the right side dominant, they're stabilizing with the left. If they're left side dominant, they're going to be stabilizing with the right. right. They've got to be able to stabilize both. Right. Retrain the brain. Mm -hmm. And the people that haven't done it, we have to train the brain to make sure they're doing the patterns the right way. Mm -hmm. That will teach the nervous system to be confident for whatever movement you're doing. Right. Because if the nervous system is not confident, it's almost like trying to punch a rock with an open fist. Yeah. You're going to smash your fingers against the rock. Right. When you kick a soccer ball, you can't go with a weak ankle to kick no. a soccer ball. You, you have to just lock your ankle and really kick it. Right. But you also have to loosen up the other ankle to be able to rotate. Mm -hmm. So your brain got to be able to do those things. Right. So you got to be able to re reset left to right, right to left. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you go into stability. So the next is when you go into uh, teens, maybe 15, 16 years old, at that point, a professional athlete is basically fully developed. Right. Now, what you got, the mechanical point of view is basically seeing what muscles are overcompensating and which ones are undertaking the movements. Okay. If some of the muscles are basically not firing for the movement, you're overloading the same muscle. Mm. So you got to be able to balance those out. Right. So how do you go in and balance, balance them out? First, uh, do a passive assessment. Okay. In this passive assessment, you basically see how the body responds for certain movements, right? Right. And like, it, this can be like a leg raise. Mm -hmm. I mean, are they stabilizing with the back of the core? Mm -hmm. If they're stabilizing with the back, they have to go and reset. They got to be stabilized with the core, not with the lower back. Mm -hmm. This thing going to develop orthosis or something in the back that's going to cause a lot of pain. Right. And then we go into, okay, now let's go into a performance movement. This is just a little example, right? And I make them do acceleration point. Mm -hmm. And acceleration point, they're actually using mechanics for a braking system, mm -hmm. which they're using the same muscle to accelerate and decelerate. Right. That will cause an injury because now the muscle is going to get tired. The tendon, mm -hmm. the articulations, and the ligaments are going to take over, and that's going to lead into an injury. They're going to right. overload the joint. Okay. So we have to see how to deload the joint by using the muscle they are supposed to use them to use as a braking system. So is this caused by when they're young, do they get taught improper mechanics or is it just kind of, they don't, the coaches that they have early, like the volunteer coaches, they don't know all the proper things to teach and they learn as they're, like their bodies learn as they're developing the wrong thing or is it, or is there a combination of different things that it could be, is it like... Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I'm not trying to step on the coaches or anything, sure, sure, you know, sure. because I mean, you see coaches have 16 kids they're going to work on. It's kind of hard to even just concentrate no, of on course. one session, mm -hmm. so, right? I think it's just the lack of knowledge from the parents. Mm. I'm going to blame that on, as a parent, not knowing what's the best thing for my kid mm -hmm. and also not educating ourselves. Right. But there's also not a lot of research in a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. You're only going to see a lot of those those specific mechanics and understanding of the human anatomy when you move into a competitive sports. Right. And a lot of trainers also have the proper education to be able to coach their athletes. Mm -hmm. They're going to see a movement. Oh, this is going to make you stronger. It's going to make you faster. But wait a second. These people are developing Ferraris to go 100 miles per hour, mm -hmm. but they still use Corolla braking system. Yeah. So they use very weak brake system mm -hmm. with a very strong engine to accelerate and jump. Right. But kids don't know how to stop. How to decelerate and how to land. There you go. Yes, correct. So first thing, if you want to develop something stronger, you've got to be able to teach the kids how to stop before you mm -hmm. let them go. Mm -hmm. So what, when, when you see these athletes that don't, that don't know how to stop or don't know the proper landing mechanics, what, what are the sort of mechanics that you, that you or like what muscles do you teach them, like techniques do you teach them to fire on when they land or decelerate? I know we were talking earlier about the adductors and then landing, kind of like making sure you jump with your calves and then landing so you have, so it doesn't make so much impact on your joints. But are there other, are there other things as well or is it? It's, it's a lot. So basically, so when structuring a program or working with an athlete, as you work with a kid, right? So just think about as we grow as an adult. Right. Right. When you're a kid, was the first thing you learn how to do? Well, you learn how to balance yourself in two legs. Mm -hmm. From learning how to balance yourself in two legs, we're giving you a soccer ball. Yeah. <laughs> you're developing yourself, kicking the ball without even knowing how to use your ankles. Mm -hmm. And then you go straight into running when you're seven or eight. Mm -hmm. But how much time 
would put into teaching these kids how to move properly? None. Correct. So it's analyzing this concept, right? Mm -hmm. And wait a second. Now they're eight, nine. They finally have fine motor skills. Right. They're learning how to read and write. Mm -hmm. And then now we hit them with puberty. Mm -hmm. And now they got another growth spurt. And their body adjusts again. And the body needs to adjust again. But we didn't teach them to phase one. And I would expect the kid to readjust in phase two. Without having been taught in phase one. Correct. Yeah. Now, you go into phase two, you hit 13, and now your rationality is not there, but you're teaching, the brain is learning how to, the peripheral cortex is being developed, right? Your right. brain. Now, your brain is learning how to have emotions. Now, you're going to have kids falling in love, you're going to have kids that are sad, depressed, yeah. and they're going to be a roller coaster of emotions. Right. But now the brain is confused between the emotions and the only outlet is the sport. And now right. they're taking those emotions out in the sport instead of building up into the sport. Mm -hmm. And now what happens then? They have no control over their emotions and they don't know their body. Yeah. What's going to happen? Injuries. There you go. Yeah. Now rationality in a male or female is going to be developed to your early 20s, yeah. mid 20s. They start making rational decisions. Yeah. So you see, yeah. it's all education. Yeah, you see that in kids when they play angry and then they go into a tackle and they don't know how fast they're going or where their leg is going to end up and they catch somebody on the ankle and all sorts of injuries happen that way, definitely. Correct. And, and, and every athlete is different. Some kids have the capability to understand that quicker than other athletes. Sure, some sure. kids, it's just another you know, gifted. Some kids actually have been thought. Some other kids, basically, the thing is there's a responsibility as a parent. To basically take the initiative to understand what the kids are going to go through right. and how to be able to educate them and guide them for the right path. Right. And also take them to the professional. I'm not going to take my daughter to a shoemaker when she wants bread. Yeah, no, of no. course not. So it's going to be the same concept, right? Right. And, and the professional point is saying so when you have developed, developing an athlete at a very young age, right. it's even harder because now the stress factor comes into place. So now the stress factor plus the physical aspect, which is another stress factor. So cortisol is their is their friend, right? And adrenaline is their best friend, right? But they can't even control endorphins; they don't even know what it is. So now their brain is all over the place, right? So they're fighting and they're doing things in a constant motion of just full regulations. How do you get? these teenagers with their brains all over the place to retrain them to fire the specific muscles that you need to prevent injuries. Because it seems, as we've talked, I'm sure, like how we've all experienced yes. it. When you're all over the place emotionally, your brain's doing all sorts of things. You don't, you didn't, you, you weren't taught proper mechanics for whatever the reason was. How do you take these athletes then and you get that specific nerve or that blocker to fire that muscle that you need to decelerate or to land or like whatever you're trying to trigger in them, how did, how are you able to go into that athlete and make that happen successfully? Because it seems like that would be pretty difficult given the wide range of different things. Absolutely, you're right, yes. And I'm going to go back to the question you asked from before about the structure of the program. Mm -hmm. But I think this is very specific because we uh, glide to three different hormones while we're learning things. But besides that, our nervous system goes through a sympathetic nervous stage, which is past stress uh, regulations, and okay. through a parasympathetic nervous stage, which is basically new information coming in, rewiring your brain for new, becoming like a blank piece of paper. Right. And when we're going to left side of your brain, long-term memory, right side of your brain going to short-term memory. Right. So most of the time, you want to shift your outputs in a parasympathetic stage. Okay. Be able to understand that the athlete is basically going to be eyes on you understanding and how you will be able to apply these components and retrain the brain to do the proper things. Okay. When you are gliding on a stress hormone, the cortisol is up. So, for instance, right, so uh, factor, COVID-19 right now, a lot of kids are like, I'm not going to play anymore. Yeah. Uh, my system is canceled. Um, my parents are at home all day. I need some free time. From yeah. the kids that walk into the facility or I'm working with a kid, uh -huh. Their best friend has been stress. Yeah. So how do I get this kid to be from the stress factor into a complete endorphin release that way they can be able to understand and open up the right side of the brain? It's a psychological game. Mm. Be able to change them from their past. Right. I'm like, right now, I need you here right now. Okay, let's do this. 
And it can be into a mathematical game, musical, it can be anything to shift them into a parasympathetic stage. From the moment they go into a parasympathetic stage, open side, we're up in the right side of the brain. Now I have them working with me. They're present. Right. So that's interesting. So it goes into this whole sports psychology side of things. You're using it in combination with the physical, with the physical prehabbing, like you called it earlier, to Correct. make sure they don't get injured. But there's a whole other side that's just the that's just the mental side. Do you do a lot in, in that as well, or do you do you, do you think you like to keep things in those two things in combination with each other because they work together? I think it's a great combination. It's basically, it's not like water and oil. This right. is like gasoline and, and fire. Right. It will always lead, right? So mm -hmm. if you have an athlete who is just came from an injury, mm -hmm. before I even put this guy to do any biomechanic, I need to really know where his mental stage is. Right. Do you really want to continue to do this? Mm -hmm. Why do you want to train? I mean, I really need to understand where they stand. Right, because if they're not all in, they could get injured again. Correct. They're going to be doubting themselves. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, if not, they're going to power through, like we say. Right. But that power through is just a stress into a firefly trying to get through things done, right? Right. But that's not really uh, teaching, rational planning. It's into an emotional thinking. Right. That emotional thinking. I can get you to get fire up right now, but that's me putting the emotion into you, fire a different epigenetic system. Right. But that's going to die two weeks from now. Right. But from the moment you sit down and you structure your own program and you know where you're going, mm -hmm. then you put some that into it. Because you have the buy-in to structure your own program and you want to get back and you want to get back to the field and you want to get back in shape rather than you think, oh, my parents want me to do this or like whatever outside pressure there is because that can only lead to I've seen that before with teammates and stuff that they were kind of like, they, they would like tear ACL or some big injury that takes a long time to get back from. And they kind of be like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know. And then they'd try and play. They wouldn't do the rehab to the fullest extent and then they would get hurt again. And Correct. then at that time, then it's just, then it goes into their, like it's a huge mental thing because they're, everything they've done their whole life for this one sport is now gone. They can't do it anymore. And then you have to deal with the mental side that way as well. So, Definitely, like you were saying, it's important to make sure that the athlete wants to, like, that you know that they really want to go through the training and go and get back on the field. Because if they don't and they try it anyways, it could lead to worse, worse things. Otherwise. And just remember, we are humans, right? So we, like, we're talking today. Control is an illusion. You have control over nothing. Mm -hmm. You have control over nothing because you can't control anything. Control is just an illusion. So, as an athlete, we want to have control over the situation that's happening in the game. Right. But all the factors can be completely different to 10 different directions. You have no control. Now you can control your body and what your body's doing, but that's it, really. Like, you don't know what the, your teammates next to you is going to do. You don't know what your opponent is going to do. You don't know if the ball's going to take a weird bounce on the field, all sorts of things that are all right. that are outside of your control. Definitely. That's a difficult thing. I feel like people don't understand that sometimes. It's like it leads to frustration. And athletes, I feel like sometimes. Yes, and I think that some of those things that uh, it comes into buying into an athlete. So knowing where the athlete is, where they stand, right. where they want to go. Mm -hmm. I need to earn their trust. Right. I need to earn to make sure they want to work with me, mm -hmm. not for me. Right. They need to understand they are my team. They need to understand that I'm here to help them and educate them, not to make their life miserable. Right. Because many times we have coaches that never had an experience coaching yeah. and they basically bully the kids and now the kids are have self defense mechanism to basically reject whatever the coach is saying. Right. They just want to make the kids run or whatever, all sorts of wacky things. Correct. And basically understanding where the kid is, mm -hmm. I do a basically a psychological evaluation before I even go into a mechanical evaluation. Mm -hmm. And from there point stand where they are what their past been, what was their childhood like, right. understanding how they got into the sport, oh, it was that put you in the sport, oh, right. you really wanted to play soccer, okay, yeah. so tell me more about it. Yeah. Now, really understanding where the kid comes from, it helps you to develop the structure for the workout, mm -hmm. because now you get to know your athlete, Right. you get to know where the kid came from, you get to know where this athlete came from, what what was it like doing the injury? What was it going through your head when you were sitting in bed right after surgery? Right. What was... So really getting to know your athlete is the key. And from that, now 
the athlete gets to trust you. Right, definitely. Now the athlete trusts you. Now the ankle starts trusting itself. Mm-hmm. Because they need to trust something that is going to be there to hold them before they fall. Definitely. And not knowing is scary for anybody. Right. Because if you go into a woods, into the jungle, and it's dark, you're afraid. But mm-hmm. what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of the bark down unknown, right? Yeah, but yeah. there is two factors there. There is things that we call the unknown, right? So we know there is something that we don't know. Right. But we don't know what is it that we don't know what else is in there. So there is two factors. Right. You only know what you don't know. Right. But you don't know what you don't know exactly. inside the jungle. And exactly. that's an even stronger fear. Right. So they know they may get hurt, but just don't they don't know how they're gonna get hurt again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that goes into like, what will I get hurt playing? What happened if I land? Now they goes to the fear factor. Yeah, and then they don't jump. And if they jump, they jump softer or not as explosive as they should. And that can lead to more injury. You hear that in basketball all the time. If you go, if you, you're taking them to the hoop and you go soft, you're more likely to get hurt because you're going to get clobbered by the big guy instead of taking the contact like you otherwise would before you got hurt. Yeah, that's interesting. How much, do, how much does your workout plan change based on the psychological... So I, I take at least an hour and a half with each athlete based on how serious they are. Uh-huh. And also with every client, you know. So you get people that are coming back from an injury. It can be like spinal cord type, type, like, or a fuse. Mm-hmm. It can be a knee replacement. Right. So many other factors can go into a client. So is an athlete, right? right? So basically the first thing I do, I go through a scanning. Uh-huh. Uh, they get to know their body. Right mm-hmm. after that, I go into a passive assessment. But before I go into movement, I go into basically first thing, which is activation. Do you really know how to activate this muscle? Yes, no. Okay, if you don't, I'll teach you. Okay. Why? Because if we're going to have an athlete do squats, if they're only activating their quads and they don't know how to use their glutes. Not good. Correct. Yeah. So they have to understand that. For an activation, you go to a pre warm up, right? The activation right. can be just body weights, mm-hmm. understanding, scanning. From there, we're going to active stretches. Mm-hmm. Or actively stretch based on what the athlete needs. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we're going to a mobility stretch of flexibility patterns. Where because they have to be able to understand the elasticity of the muscle, the elongation of the muscle with the tendon, and the mobility with the muscle tendon joints and and uh, ligaments. Right. So they have to be able to understand what joint really needs to move and what joint doesn't have to move. Right. If and how that, it all connects and stuff. Correct. Yeah. Because if I have someone doing bilateral mechanics, they have to understand that the ankle needs to rotate. The knee doesn't have to rotate. Right. The hip needs to open. The knee doesn't have to go inwards. So if they don't understand those patterns, then we're going to the muscle balancing. Well, what part of your body is actually doing most of the work? Right. And then from there, we start developing the program. I mean, and then you execute the program, obviously. Correct. Then you start executing the program, and then you go into the first week protocol. Mm-hmm. And based on how many times they're training with you, and then you go to the second week protocol. The first four-week protocol is activation and combination of the patterns. Right. But the moment the athlete understands what they're doing and how they're trying to accomplish those patterns, now you see their development. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go into a performance patterns, right? Right. And now you go into a completely different functional. You go either before I start loading my weights with that, uh, my athletes with weights and stuff. Right. I really need to know the athletes' moving weight. Right. The the patterns of movement are the way they need to be. So when you put more stress, it doesn't crumble under. Correct. So it's yeah. building up the stronger foundation. Right. It only allow me to put more weight on top of the foundation. Right. That makes sense. So how did you get into this? Is that most, most of the people that I know do not have this level of understanding of how the mind connects to the body and what steps need to be taken to make sure that injuries are prevented and when people are injured, what it takes to get back and prevent re-injury. So how did you, like, what happened where you got into this sort of, the marriage of psychology with, with the body and performance? Like, well, how did you get into to this sort of thing? So, you know, my first professional contract when I signed for soccer, I was 14. Mm-hmm. So I just be able to understand the key where they're coming from this point of view is a big deal. Right. So playing national team when I was 15, going to a World Cup, U17 World Cup qualifications, mm-hmm. which is a huge thing for me because my legs were shaking. I was about right. to pee my pants from the moment you step in right. the stadium, right? Yeah. And now you're seeing guys that are way taller from you. Mm-hmm. I remember one time stepping into the stadium, we're playing U17 Jamaica team. Yeah. I mean, I was like 5'2", these guys are like 5'9". Now yeah. you are just like, what am I going to do here? Right. You start doubting yourself mm-hmm. without even stepping, even before the yeah. game starts. Yeah. You know, you're shaking, you hit the, hit the players and you're already shaking. Mm-hmm. 
because you just don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I basically going through the stress myself, going through the high performance of stress, um, it basically was a big teacher for me at that time. I really didn't understand what that was until I basically started developing my professional career. And I mean, from that point, I got shipped to South America at that time. Mm-hmm. A lot of the national teams were basically sent players all over South America to oh, understand oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. understand new uh, strategies for soccer and then that happened. Brazil and Argentina, mm-hmm. and you understand different methodologies of soccer. Right. So at that point, I was like, "Well, what am I going to do for high school?" Okay. Well, my high school was so some some countries here you go to high school, grade twelve. Uh-huh. Over there, you go to grade nine and you pick a tech school. Okay. So tech school for me was medical school. Okay. So I work at the morgue. Right. So volunteer yeah. for fun. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I think human anatomy is one of my passions. Mm-hmm. And then from there, basically working with the medical team and a lot of those teams, you're working with some of the best professionals in the world. Right. And you're understanding how the body works. Mm-hmm. And I volunteered to be in some of the surgeries to see how to do it. Uh, I mean, meniscus repair. Right. And then from there, you are with the medical staff learning how they're going to get this athlete back in X amount of time. Right. So it's a completely different experience than just going through a book. Yeah, definitely. That's and now true. when you go into this, now the first thing I remember, I was in Brazil, the first thing I remember the coach was like, all right, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. The whole therapy was talking to the athlete for two days. Was never actually putting the athlete to a crazy workout. That's interesting. That's not very common here, I don't think. Correct. So yeah. every country has different regulations. Every country has different regulations for a physical therapist, for a kinesiologist. And that's why I think everything comes from experience. Right. And I think your best school is life. And at this point, is understanding what you're doing is what you love. If you mm-hmm. don't understand that, then you're in the wrong career. Since I was a kid, I understood what I like was the human body and the psychology behind it. Mm-hmm. So understanding that was a huge point for me. My dad was a psychologist, so that also helped okay. a lot too. Cool. So understanding that was very different. You know, and Coming out from a third world country like El Salvador after the Civil War, Right. You wake up and you see a bunch of bodies piled up on the side of the road and growing up with all the, all the uh, violence and MS-13 trying to recruit you to go join the game. Right. You're trying to fight and you wait around to go into playing professional and sometimes no eating. So you basically understand what the determination makes you do right. and how you stay in a clear path in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Yeah. So coming to this country was a completely different point because then I have major injuries where right. I ended my career. Right. And that's the reason why I went into a full complete, which was recovery and understanding how the human body works. And a lot of these right. things, to be honest with you, a lot of these things, you marry them together, not because you learn from the book, you learn from the school, mm-hmm. you learn from your own life experience. Right. But also understanding what pain is, understanding what's laying in bed and to be able to get up and understanding what goes through your head. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's one of the big factors that comes into knowing what the other person is, having the sympathy and right. having... You've, connection. you've experienced those experience things before, like definitely other trainers and doctors who have not been athletes at at least college or some sort of high level or haven't haven't been injured before to the point where you're laying in bed after surgery and you can't move because you're like your leg is like you're like they repaired your knee or your ankle or whatever the case is like being able to connect with that athlete on that like hey i was there i understand what you're going through this is how we're going to get you through it i feel like as an athlete you trust way more when that person has experienced that before and that leads to like you were saying you need to make sure that your athlete trusts you Correct. whereas other other trainers or coaches or whatever the trust isn't there and then like you said they build the defense mechanisms and, and to reject what that coach is saying because they don't trust what that coach is saying and then that leads to all sorts of other problems correct and that's why i think it's important for me to know where the athlete comes into place right i had this athlete where uh, he came from the home where that was abusive, mm-hmm. uh, beats mom up, beats the kid up, goes into training. Now, obviously, the coach has some aggressive issues, yeah. anger man issues. Now, the kid becomes defensive. The kid is 13 years old. Yeah. He's developing through emotions. What do you think the kid is going to learn? Yeah, he's going to be anger, anger, resentment. And now, guess what? The kid is being judged and saying, well, this is a bad player. Too bad he's too angry. Yeah. There was never understanding. There was never time for this kid to express his emotions. The kid was never asked, how do you feel today? Is everything okay at home? Did you say, you're sucked today, go home. Right. And now we're killing many jam players through the same concept. Yeah, definitely. So, and that's when it comes into a psychological point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And now they go play with anger. Yeah. 
Now we have athletes that are getting injured and they're getting recovered and they realize they don't like soccer. Yeah. Soccer was a way of outlet for whatever they were dealing with at home. Mm-hmm. Or some kids realize they actually love soccer. Yeah. Because ex coach said this to them and motivated them. Right. So as a coach, I think we have the power to destroy an athlete or build an athlete. And I Definitely. think it's a big factor for whoever wants to wear a band-aid, say, on coach. It's right. to really not to have coach is a very strong word. They have to understand that coaching is an art. The coaching is a huge responsibility. It's Definitely. not just to go there. What they want is what the kids want. Yeah, I don't think some of them, I don't think some of them realize the impact that they have on those kids. Like if you were to ask like me, I remember all the coaches I had and whether I like, liked them, what I liked about them, what I didn't like, like what sort of impact they had on me. I'm sure you, you, you're the same. You remember all the coaches you had. For you, you, Dylan, as well, but um, for you going into coaching, you've already realized that. And so you take that approach into each individual athlete and it allows you to connect with people. It's like I've seen so many people go through that gym that, like, the, the, like the energy in that gym is so it's trusting and positive, and that's not where it is everywhere. Um, and it's great. It's really great to be in there and just to know that, like, everybody trusts each other because they know that's what you're doing and you built that culture there and it's all based on your experience growing up and through your your experiences with the with the national team like you were saying and then being in Brazil and coach is like, Hey, how are you how do you feel? It's like all of that built up to where you're at now and your the impact that you have I feel like on a lot of teenagers, especially on young younger athletes, is is huge. So maybe a part of it is, is really cool, um, and to learn. But I just wanna to touch back on when you were growing up in El Salvador how did you, so you're trying to go pro, right? And you said you have like the gangs trying to recruit you. Yeah. How, how did you navigate that as a kid and then keep yourself on the right path into like, into where you are now versus falling into, into that sort of life? To be honest with you, I don't know how I did it. So it was very interesting because I was 13 years old and I didn't pick up soccer until I was eight, maybe. Uh-huh. And I mean, I had all kinds of people you know, teach me soccer, and at that point, I had never even gone to a stadium before. Mm-hmm. Like to play, mm-hmm. it was different. Right. And I think the physical aspect, growing up in a third world country, growing up in a farm or in a city, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You see, you kind of picture yourself what's like to be a professional athlete. Of course, yeah. You know, that's your dream. It was like, oh, I want to play professional soccer, or I want to do it because for me, it wasn't an option. There was a soccer ball when I was born. Yeah. And it's not like you have the option. It's like, no, you're going to play soccer. Yeah. But it wasn't really something that I loved. Uh-huh. And to I started the, comp- the competition aspect, that's when I really understood that I love the competing aspect of the game. And I was 12, and I was playing in academies and things, which their academies, there's so many kids, they don't have the chance to even go to an academy. So I used to travel three hours when I was 12, I used to run away from home just to go train. Wow. And the third world country is not that easy because no. you see a kid that is not outside town, so the gay member is like, maybe he's a gay member. We need to go ask him what's up. Yeah. And that's when you really understand that you have to be in the lookout for yourself and you realize you have no one else. Right. But you need to also understand why you're doing those things. At the young age, I didn't really know why I was doing it. To be honest with you, I just knew I wanted to play. Right. And I wanted to see what I can accomplish within me getting the proper training. Mm-hmm. So, age 13 or 14, one of my friends was, hey dude, it's gonna be a U17 tryout, even though you're two years younger, you should go give it a shot. I said, sure. First time I step in a big stadium, mm-hmm. full of people, I show up, it's gonna be maybe like seven kids, since one of my friends was playing for national team, like maybe yeah. it's like a, a personal invitation, you know? Yeah. You, and you step into the team, and it's like nine teams with the same age, I'm like, right. Holy crap. Yeah. You're already beating yourself up even before you beat the stadium. And next thing you know, out of those people, I only picked six kids. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the ones that were selected. Mm-hmm. And then from age 14, I realized that 13, that's when I realized that soccer was my thing. Mm-hmm. And in whatever training session I went through, it was raining, sun, 110 degrees outside, I still do my training. Right. And it's not like there was books. I mean, as you, the years go by, there's more studies, there's more science behind this. Before it was basically how much can I push, right? And that's what led me to all these injuries I have now, right? 
But there is a lot of people, even now, they still want to push their kids to the limits. And that's what I did with myself. Right. Push to my limits. So at that point, I was one of the youngest players on the national team. And then I was also playing for Aguila, uh, first division team in El Salvador. Okay. And uh, I mean, now you go from like, I love playing soccer to like, hey, dude, you're playing with my kids' salary and feeling stuff. This is on you. Yeah. They're like, now you're playing soccer under stress. Right. Now understanding that concept is also like, people are yelling at me now this guy is telling me my own team player if I'm stuck he's gonna lose the salary and now you gotta go into the field and do a good job yeah so to me even before you step in the field is the psychological yeah, the point stress of is already there were you able to once you stepped in the field to kind of put that aside once with the salary portion or was that always, it was was a, always there he was always a this is an example uh-huh. he was so many other things because you when you step in the field you start thinking I hope I don't make the mistake I didn't practice last week right and now you're beating yourself up. And that's what I understand now. It's a sympathetic stage. Mm-hmm. Now I'm able to understand that now to kids that are training now. Right. Because a lot of people that haven't stepped in the stadium with 50,000 spectators and you are 14 years old and be able to yeah. understand that it's, it's not the same. No. I mean, you have to step and take a penalty to go into a World Cup qualification for U17. It's a completely different point. Yeah. So it's a completely different stress. As a coach... Yes, you can be coaching, but it's hard for you to understand it if you haven't actually been in the skin of someone who's doing it. You know? yeah. That's why I sympathize and I basically connect a lot more with the players because I understand what that's like. Yeah, and that's a unique experience anyway. It's very hard to replicate that. There, Correct. there are other experiences that as a coach you can replicate. Yeah. But that is not, that's not one. Correct. And just going to practice, man. Just going to practice every day. I was going to practice two or three hours. Uh, I will, for instance, I will leave at like 2 p.m. to go to practice, right. two-hour travel. Uh-huh. You will skip lunch because I didn't tell my mom. Yeah. And then you get up for practice, and then now it's a Mr. Team waiting to, you better give him a dollar. Yeah. You know, be able to go through the neighborhood. Yeah. And now, if you don't have the dollar, you better be a fast runner because we're exactly they're going to catch it. Yeah. You know, it was a stop multiple times just to be able to make a practice. And you mm-hmm. continue got to show up knowing that you make a stop again. Yeah. Here, your parents drop you off. Yeah. Your parents pick you up. How bad do you want it? It's up to you. Yeah, it is. There, all the opportunity is right there. Correct. So, once again, is how hungry you are, how much you want to push through, but how much you actually want it. Yeah. Do you think that having all the opportunities right in front of kids here kind of takes that hunger out of Correct. Out of I think sometimes some kids are very appreciative and they understand and they push through. And mm-hmm. But I think the parents want it more than the kids want it. Yeah. You actually got to get my kid to want it. You know, me wanting it and push my kid to do it. Right. So that's what I say about the parents' education aspect. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, and from there, just surviving gangs and going through all this other nonsense, missing your bus. There was the last bus going to the city and I'm asking for rides to whoever is going to stop in the middle of the yeah. night time getting a ride to go, you know. Yeah. You don't know if the person is wrong, they're going to kidnap you. You have no idea. Yeah. You just know you got to make it home. Before yeah. your mom finds out that you didn't make yeah. it to school to go to practice. Yeah. I'm not saying, once again, the kids just keep practice or yeah. go to school, but I'm just saying it's, it's a completely different mindset. Yeah, it's a different world. Like, if you don't live in it, you don't. Like, you can tell me the story, but I'm not going to understand unless I live it. So, as a diff- but, as, but by the same token, it's like it's good for people to know that story because some people don't even know that that exists or like that Correct. life exists. So, for getting it out there is like, I keep harping on this in the different episodes of the podcast, but like, Every time somebody has a story like that, I'm like, this is why we're doing this. So you, so people like you can tell that story. So people understand, like, people go through all sorts of different things and that's what makes them the way they are, like, moving forward. Say, hey, why did you say that thing? Or why did you react that way? It's, oh, because of, like, all these gazillion different things that happened to them when they were little or how they grew up or what they experienced. So, yeah, it's like, this, this is why... This is why we wanted to do this. So that's that's really good for that you can come share that uh, with us for sure. Yeah, and I'm going to put one more last thing there is basically the way I tell people is like, if you have an angry dog, will you breed the angry dog? No. Nope. Why not? Because you don't want more of them. Just think about this. How many of us are going through so much trauma and so much hang- anger, mm-hmm. but we still have kids? Yeah. But we are not responsible enough to educate those kids. Right. The sale... That chromosome, mm-hmm. that DNA is being transferred to these people. Mm-hmm. And now you're responsible to educate your kids yeah. and be able to own whatever you did in order to help these kids. That's why I go back into a psychological point of view, not just a mechanical point of view. Right. 
just the same way you look just like your dad. Mm -hmm. Internally, you may feel like just like your mother. Right. But you don't know what your mom or your grandma went through. Yeah. And by not knowing them, you don't know what you're dealing about yourself either. Right. That's important too to know where your own where like where you where you come from, so you know why you act a certain way, and if it's a bad thing to change it, and if not so bad to at least understand why gives you like that look in the mirror gives you a whole another insight into who you are. So like, it's a hard thing to do to look yourself in the mirror and figure out why you do things the way you do because there's things that you didn't expect or things that you didn't maybe didn't want to know. That are there that once you look you have to go through that whole cycle of all right well i found this thing out about myself that i really didn't want to know how am i going to deal with it now correct and then you need outlets for that and like going like playing sports is one of those outlets correct so that's a big thing as well it's teaching kids like you said educating kids to cope and like how how to deal with themselves and their emotions is such a huge thing i feel like it doesn't get enough it is getting more now, the mental health stuff that, that we see going on now. You see a lot of people harping on them more on social media, like, oh, mental health days and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Like, my company will have, like, um, say, hey, if you need a mental health day from work, that's, like, an acceptable excuse now. Whereas 10 years ago, that was not an acceptable Correct. thing to do. So how – so then obviously there's a whole athletic side to the mental health. And I know you posted a couple of videos about athletic mental health specifically, but – how how do you identify that within the psycho like within the psychological eval and how do you kind of help those athletes come along mentally like just the mental side rather than the body to mind but just the mental side if they're dealing with anxiety or depression or anything or anything like that do you have have do you have athletes that have those and if so yes. how do you help them? Uh, I mean yes. I think we all deal with all kinds of stress on a daily basis. Sure. But I think having faith mm -hmm. and also understanding where you stand is also is a big part. Uh, there is a big factor into either whatever beliefs you have mm -hmm. is also being thankful for things that you don't have. Mm -hmm. You could have no health. Right. You could have no leg, but you right. still have it. Yeah. Just be able to be thankful and concentrate on the small things mm -hmm. and being grateful for what you have, not for what you can't have, mm -hmm. is a big factor, right? It's mm -hmm. that approach. You can either see the, the glass are halfway full or halfway empty. Yeah. But teaching kids how to see it the right way is a completely different factor. I mean, you get, I mean, past 14 years I've been working with all kinds of athletes and clients where you get people that are two, 300 pounds and want to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. because they're tired of being fat. Right. Like they lose 150 pounds and they gain it again in three years. Right. So that factor is a huge factor because food, they got to continue to eat. Yeah. It's an addiction. Yeah. But now you have athletes, the only outlet they have is soccer. Now you take soccer away, what happens? If they're eating too much, they gain all that weight. Correct. Yeah. That's just an example, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same with any sport. I'm just using soccer since it's my main sport. Right. I mean... Just think about you playing professional now. You have a pay cut now. You don't know what you want to play next. Now you're 28, and that's the only way you feed your family, and you don't know anything else because you have college education. Right. Now you're putting your life in a completely different perspective. You start thinking about: Do I need to work on landscaping? Do yeah. I really need to go back into doing GrabHub or doing Uber? Yeah. Now you have professional athletes losing their head because. They don't really know what they're going to do because they weren't smart enough to know how to manage their money. Mm -hmm. And also, they didn't have the right mentors to tell them, hey, listen, you know, this may happen. You may get injured. You should start investing now. You should definitely only put the extra money to the side. Management. Mm -hmm. Teaching how to manage their life. And basically, pray and have faith. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I say is pray for what you can't have. It's not, it's, it's be thankful for what you have. Right. It may to have patience. Yeah, patience because, is huge. Yeah, if you don't understand what patience means, it's a completely different factor. Yeah. So working with athletes, they are going 16, 17, their career just start, and next thing you know, they're about to get a tryout overseas, and now that shut down, and now the team says, I don't want them anymore, and now they feel their life is ending, because they're still going to an emotional regulation, just getting to know themselves. Right. And now they think, maybe soccer is not for me, maybe this is a signal. They don't see the reality from different Right. So that's another factor. Why? Yeah. Because you have to kind of bring into reality, hey, listen, you know, the world's not ending. 
it just gives you a completely different point. It's time for you to work in your weaknesses and actually make this become a stronger point. When you have a different try out, you're gonna be in a better point than just not working on this. Right. So you basically give them a different outlet. Yeah. You basically put them in a different focus point where they're able to concentrate on something different right. than what the negativity is happening around them. Right, you focus the energy in a different place instead of where what didn't happen they wanted to, you focus it into, okay, how can we use this to make ourselves better? Correct, yeah. so basically use that time for something positive. Right. And basically utilize that time and become a better version of yourself. Yeah. Better, 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 a lot more effort in what things you didn't want to put effort on. Time for rehabilitation, time for recovery. Mm-hmm. And really emphasize on being grateful, basically. Yeah, that's something. I feel like that's something that makes it sound so simple to say: take the negative energy and part of the energy and focus it into something positive instead of negative. But really, if you get the right mentor or the right person that helps you do that, that can change everything almost. Because you're just sitting there wallowing in, oh, I didn't get this tryout, and you're just reflecting on that one bad thing. But you need like a friend or a family member to say, hey. Let's focus it somewhere else, and like it sounds so simple, like when like when we just say it out loud. But sometimes it's not it's not that simple. Correct. So you know, I tell you, this is basically one of the things I tell my young athletes is like, you know, the first time actually, we grew up with my grandfather. My grandfather was born in 1902, so you can imagine the education yeah. he had, right? Yeah. So you basically go into the woods, and I was remember I was eight nine years old, and I killed my first animal. Mm-hmm. And you're taking a life away with your own hands, and now you have to clean that animal. You gotta eat it. Right. You respect food. Yeah. You respect life. Yeah. But here, everything is given to us. We throw food away. Yeah. We take things for granted. Mm-hmm. We don't really appreciate things that are given to us and respect respect that we deserve things without doing anything. Right. So knowing that, that means we are. We feel that we're entitled to so many things, and with Things really hit us, hit us hard, mm-hmm. because we're not used to being hardship. correct. Yeah. And it's basically being raw and out. So I think the educational aspect as a parent, as a mentor, it's a big thing. But empathy, emphasizing in the kids' mental health or the human mental health is a big point, just by knowing where they are. Right. Because not everyone's the same. You can't treat everyone the same way. Right. Some people will kind of things easier, some people won't, so you really have to really know who you're working with. Makes sense. So I'll ask a couple, a couple more questions, but we can get Rachel on later in different episodes to talk about the, bus- the business yeah, side yeah. of things. But So you've taken all these experiences that you've had, and you, you had this passion for the anatomy and the human body and the psychology behind it, and obviously you had the performance piece of you playing in the, in the national team when you were young. And then how did you, when you came to... America, how did you decide that you wanted to, or not how did you decide you wanted to start a business, but how did you go about doing that? Because in America, everybody's need licenses and certifications and, and business licenses and all sorts of things. So did you, like, you have to go back to school and get some licenses, or like, how did you end up going from the end of your soccer career into where you are now, where you have the gym and you're training people from from that unique aspect of using the psychology? So there was a different journey, man. At that point, I didn't know anything about psychology. Uh-huh. At that point, I was just getting to know myself, to be honest with you. Right. I just knew I knew survival. I just knew how to survive, right? Uh-huh. So basically, my career, my career ended when I was very young, when I was 18, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I couldn't go to high school because I was 18. So right. I had to figure out GED, whatever. And I basically had to figure out how I was going to survive in this country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'll explain in another episode of how that happened, but long story short, I went to Falls Church High School first to mm-hmm. figure out how I was going to get my GED, mm-hmm. and they say, well, you speak no English, right? you have to actually first learn the language, then we'll figure out where we're going to put you, right. and they say, well, you want to stay at grade 9, but I was living in Bellsville, Maryland. Mm, that's far. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know how to use a metro or any of that stuff, so I went to PG County High School. And I had to do homeschooling. Right. But I also had to find a part-time job to work because my parents are not here. I was leaving this country since I was 17 on my own. Yeah. So at that point, my manager helped me get a place with my uncle. And at that point, I moved out of my uncle's house. And, and then you realize, they're like, crap, I have to go back to high school. Mm-hmm. 
And then I got a job finally, sweeping the furniture store. I was cleaning bathrooms. Mm -hmm. But the first thing I looked around was a gym to see where a gym was. Right. And I didn't have a car. Uh -huh. So I would run eight miles one direction, go shower, work out five in the morning, and go work after that because I didn't have a bike or a car. Jeez. Yeah. Every day, rent, shade, shine, or snow, same thing. Mm -hmm. And and then I, I didn't have a cell phone. Uh -huh. I didn't have a computer. There was no internet. I was doing mail homeschool system. So I would get this big package of yeah. books sent to you and sent to me, and I have to finish it after I take a two hour ride in the metro. Yeah. And go home and study and wake up early in the morning and do it over again. That's amazing. We so, have to drive to do that every day, especially eight miles. Like, if I get up and run, like, even like three or four miles would double that every day. That's, yeah, so that's crazy. In my run, I never felt it because on my run, when I got my job, so after two months doing that, I said, This is nonsense. I have to find a place where to move closer, right? Right. And then I moved to Fairfax mm -hmm. to one of the guys I met playing soccer. So, I was playing soccer on the weekends in one of the Spanish leagues that were paying me like $200 a game. Uh -huh. And I was paying for my education like that. So making right. like $800 a week and playing four games Saturday and Sunday. Right. So it was good money for me, plus I was working. And uh, and one of the guys were like, hey, do you want to move with us? We have an extra room. I said, sure. They never told me that was a, being evicted. They were being evicted and they never had a bank account. They just got here. Wow. And they pulled my money under the mattress and they took everything. So I live in a shelter for a month and a half. Just to try to figure out where I was going to go next. Right. And at that point, they took all my homework too. All my high school because they evicted everything. They nice. put everything in the corner. Oh, that's crazy. Right? So basically, you have to start over again. Right. But long story short is I had to learn the language within four months. Uh -huh. If not, I wasn't going to be able to actually have a job because right. the place where I was working was right in college, right in Lehigh. Uh, old furniture store was a consignment store, mm -hmm. and everyone there was spoke English. So the right. guy was like, "Hey, this you, know, you have to give you a shot, but you have to learn the language." Right. And I used to go to coaching the one on Gallows Road, mm -hmm. and I used to pass Prosperity. I used to pass all the way down by uh, Germantown in Fairfax, mm -hmm. and I used to run from there all the way to there every morning. And then basically, I had to learn the language. I picked the biggest book I can find in English and I started reading without knowing what I was saying. Yeah. I used picked this book called Letters to Iwo Jima, and that's since I started learning history. But basically from there, it took me a year and a half to finish three years of high school. And I finished high school with a 4.3 GPA. That's awesome. Yeah, so basically I finished three years within a year and a half, and that basically opened the doors for me to pre prepare myself mentally and also academically. Mm -hmm. And from that point, I started taking college credits. And basically going to a completely different route, which was basically performance not mean it's against certifications to personal training and really learning what the human body was in rehabilitation. Yeah. So I went from driving upper doors from back in 2008. Uh -huh. I went to San Diego basically to the careful certification in order mm -hmm. to get certified. Certified from then you have to actually perform. So you actually, every certification I ever got in was you have to perform in order to get certified. Right. A lot of trainers basically they get certified online and they go teach people without even knowing. Yeah, they just, doing the right they just one. read a book, click a couple buttons, and they get the cert. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, my first book I ever read was Power for the People by Pavel. Mm -hmm. I mean, just understanding and educating yourself is a huge point, you know? Yeah. I knew that anatomy, understanding. I mean, I, I don't know how a car works, but I can tell you every tenant in your body because that was, yeah. I had to be proud of something that I knew. Yeah. So, you have to put your ego in your craft. And my yeah. ego was basically on how much knowledge I had about my human body mechanically right because it's the only thing I did growing up so putting that into the psychological part was very simple because I kind of picture myself doing those things and understanding it was a completely different factor but now this past two three years I have had to emphasize a lot into the psychological point of view for athletes and overall for performance oh, okay so what, you didn't get into that until a little bit later yeah I understood what it was to really understanding how to explain it you understand it but you don't know how to explain it right but when you understand it, you learn how to explain it. So, uh, for one point, uh, we worked with Dr. George Carlo. He was the performing coach for the Detroit Tigers and the Buffalo Bills. Okay. And he is a huge believer in how the psychology and mind and body connection works. And right. He, he has done so much work with so many athletes in understanding what the epigenetic activation and your 
going into a sympathetic nervous station, parasympathetic nervous station, we can each factor into where uh, sports development is. So it was a completely different thing. You know, it changed completely how you view sports, how you view life period. And just going from there, I mean, just really understanding. There's a lot of certification that doesn't really teach you many things, but really understanding books like, I mean, just the body keeps the score. It's a book that teaches you how trauma is healing your body, storing your body, and you're able to overcome it. I mean, right. there's things that is not just certifications. It's basically self-improvement. Yeah. So many things you can have a license, but if you don't know how to implement it, it doesn't mean that you really know what you're doing. Right. But really understanding the concept of what you're learning and what you're getting the license for, then, yes, you will understand what you're doing with that license. Yeah, because you have to implement it and use it in your everyday, your everyday practices. And you've got to be your first client. You have to be your first guinea pig. Yeah, because yeah, because that's how you try it. You don't want to try it on somebody else, and then it doesn't work, and you make them worse. That would, Correct. <laughs> that wouldn't that wouldn't be too good. And then, like you asked, how did I become from going into professional athlete to get into my regular lifestyle? I mean, I wasn't the gym. I go to the gym outside the gym every morning at five in the morning before they open. I was the first person there, mm -hmm. and the guys like you should start working. I'm like, man, how? Yeah, that was two thousand and five. Mm -hmm. End of 2004, beginning of 2005, it's like, well, get the certification, and I think it was ACE. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember how, when I got my certification and I went through it. And next thing you know, I'm training people. The next thing you know, everybody got to know me in the gym, and I started competing in rugby, and I didn't want to play soccer anymore because of my injuries. My career was ended. I had a contract to go to Europe. Everything yeah. dropped, so I understood what trauma was. Yeah. You know, and then from there I went through seven more surgeries and you completely go and, and just drop whatever you're dealing with and yeah. you move into something different. And then a lot of my friends at the time helped me, you know. I mean, I wasn't built on myself. I, you have to have people to support you and believe in you. Right. And they would give me books. They would get me by. I mean, so a lot of people, good people come to your life when you actually do something good too. Yeah. If you see someone at five o'clock in the morning every day, just give them something. Yeah. You know, so... I think that was a huge push, really getting to know good people. Mm -hmm. uh, I got two really good friends who used to play for the Lithuanian national team, rugby national team, mm -hmm. and these guys taught me how to lift. Yeah. And, you know, and, I mean, these guys are like massive dudes, I mean, 6'4", yeah. 180 pounds. Is that how you got into bodybuilding? That's how I got into, no, yeah, weightlifting, weight yeah. training, and the bodybuilding was yeah. later down the road. Yeah. But then you start understanding about nutrition, and now you get it, you want to change your body, and I start fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, competed in Muay Thai and I was doing many other sports throughout like, my career mm -hmm. and it's just like I was lost I didn't know what I really wanted to do mm -hmm. but I think all those years 19 years from the beginning what I did in doing soccer mm -hmm. is coaching mm -hmm. kind of taught me that my passion is soccer and basically right. my passion is coaching is teaching is educating mm -hmm. to basically take the sport to a completely different level yeah. in what actually soccer is yeah, so all this has kind of come full circle for you now. You've Correct. opened up the gym. You've been able to use all the things that you've learned in one place with soccer, which is your passion. So what's next What's next for you? What's next for, for us yeah, is... Yeah, what's next for you guys? Is, is, is a big question mark because right now we're trying to just assimilate what's happening because I was kind of like holding back and working with a lot of professional athletes because of... That way how things were going, but for the past two, three years, I've worked with so many athletes that have come from Europe, all over the United States, mm -hmm. but I think it's mainly opening up and opening opportunity for people who really want to develop their career. To right. me, it's not just about money, it's basically about development, right. and I think making a huge change in students and kids and bringing awareness to mental health. And using the sports for the right reasons, not just as an outlet, right. it will make a huge difference. For the past two years, I have volunteered for the Perfect County for the Students Outreach Program. Basically, okay. I, I volunteer part of my time to work with kids that are borderline becoming gang members or mm -hmm. drug addicts, mm -hmm. and I basically tell them my start. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I'm allowing myself to work with these kids, and I've gone to all kinds of different schools to do talks and just work with youth. Sure. Basically, that's basically my main my main focus right now. We have a, a big variety of kids that come to the doors, you know, but you can't shut these kids down because no. they want to learn. If they don't have the money, it doesn't matter. You treat them just like somebody's paying a thousand dollars. Yeah. Why? Because at the end of the day, money is one thing, but your principles and values are a completely different thing. Yeah.
Yeah. So whatever comes next, it will depend on how life breaks apart, you know. But mainly, it's moving on forward, trying to help as many people as we can, and really help the youth. Yeah. So when you go into these outreach programs, how how do they work? You go and you tell their story. Do you are you able to stay in touch with them later? You, like, do you still talk to some of them, or not? Or not so much. You know, so social media is a great thing, right? So mm-hmm. social media is a good thing that these kids stay with me. So I worked with two kids like two years ago, and now they just got D one scholarship in college. It's awesome for soccer. Mm-hmm. So I told them what to do. I'm able to talk to these kids online, and, mm-hmm. and the thing is a big accomplishment because. A lot of these kids are able to change and turn around after they were selling pot in middle school. Right. And they were trying to get into opioids. You get them in to see something completely different. Yeah. It's just so sad, even the Hispanic community, how in other different um, varieties of different status, quotes, life, society, some people ask, hey, what college are you going to go to after high school? Normally, Latinos is like, are you going to go to college? Yeah. They're not even knowing if they're going to go to college. Just the approach itself is a huge factor, so I'm trying to change a lot of the enigma of like how kids should be definitely approach college, mm-hmm. what their education should be, and, and things out. There is so many open doors, open, well, so many doors can open for them if they actually knock the right door. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So it's basically building networks for kids, doing a lot of outreach. Is that, is that another thing that you, when you're, when you're with these kids, or like when you're training these athletes in general, you, you network with these different agents and... And people are short, so like you've got to network with somebody who needs like different specialists for a knee or whatever. I'm sure you've got like, have you built your network up to where if somebody needs something, you could be like, hey, go to this person. You know, it's it's very hard. Sometimes you wish you can help everybody, but you know, I think God gives you people and put people on your path for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, have doctors that basically have done surgeries for nothing for some of the athletes that basically left out after their teams, mm-hmm. and I think that's a huge. That's a huge uh, blessing for these athletes. There are people out there that still wanted to do good. But it's, it's sad that nowadays people are just looking at the bad things, you know? Right. And some of these doctors don't even know if the kid can be black, Latino. It doesn't matter. These people want to do good too, you know? Right. And, and yes, uh, I have developed enough trust around the professional world where many agents always contacting me for professional Kids, they want to. I'm sorry, kids that want to become professional. Right. They actually have the enough material to be developed and be coach. I think soccer is a school, man. Soccer, you never stop learning. Life is a school, you never stop learning. And so, as long as you stay with that mentality, you can go very far and beyond. At this point, uh, there is many agents, there is many coaches, high school coaches, college coaches. They always doing outreach to me. Hey, man, do you have an L six? A kid was born 2005. A kid. I need a forward, I need etc. Right. And I tell the kids, I'm high listen, you know, next month I mean you go get a player and then you guys get your stuff together. And that gives the kids motivation to keep yeah. working, you know. So it keeps these kids with a fire to continue to do something positive. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good place to end this episode. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Um, your gym is called PR Performance Fitness. And we can find you on uh, Instagram uh, website. Yeah, so www.prperformancefitness.com is our website, and we also have Instagram, it's prperformancefitness. Uh, my personal is pablo.amaya.7, and that's for Instagram, and same thing for uh, PR Performance and Facebook, and we're on social media everywhere. Sounds good. You heard it here first, Pablo Amaya, everybody. Bye, everybody.